Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to another episode of Reimagining Love. I can't wait to dive in on today's topic, which is about gathering for the holidays. We're going to focus specifically on boundaries and conversation and family dynamics. But I wanted to start by first sharing two of the reviews that have come in of our show. And these reviews mean a ton. We are still in the early phases of this journey together. And so your feedback and your encouragement matters so much to me and to my team. So here are two reviews. The first one comes from Sunshine515, who wrote, Alexandra Solomon brings such an authentic human perspective to relationships, and she helps me shift the focus from how I can change my partner to looking at myself. Love the conversation with Esther Perel, especially in these challenging times where boundaries and spaces are disrupted. Can't wait for the next episode. Thank you, Sunshine515. And the other review that I will share is from Kirsty Leavitt, who wrote, Dr. Alexandra Solomon is one of my favorite professionals and people. In my quiet moments, I imagine what it would be like to be her student or friend. I'm delighted that I get to live vicariously through these conversations and friendships that she will have on here. I'll take what I can get. All my blessings to this podcast. Thank you, Kirsty Leavitt. Even though those reviews make me blush a little bit, I wanted to share because it just matters a ton. So let's get going on our topic because it's a big one and we've got lots to explore here together. It was years ago that spiritual teacher Ram Das said, if you think you're enlightened, spend a week with your family. <laughs> and I have a feeling that this year's holiday season, perhaps more than any other one, is going to stress even the most enlightened, evolved, relationally self-aware among us. Why? Why would that be? Well, I've got four reasons. <laughs> I bet you may have some to add to my list. The first thing I was thinking about is that we're exhausted. We've got fried nervous systems to be alive during a global pandemic, which we are now many, many months into. 
means that our systems are pretty well wrought, right? We've got decision fatigue. We have been sitting with our own and our collective grief. And so we go into this holiday season, or we're moving through this holiday season with our buckets somewhat empty. Second thing is that there is heightened polarization and tension and a sense that we exist in our individual ideological silos. And that's not new this year, but it is ongoing and it is unresolved. And we will talk specifically in this episode about the sort of siloing and polarization specifically around vaccine status. Gulp. The third thing is social atrophy. So we are social creatures by nature, but a lot of us have been tucked in for a long time and we have been away from gatherings and schmoozing and parties and coming together in those ways. Even if we've been perhaps social at work, it's different. So for many families, it's going to be the first gathering in nearly two years. And if nothing else, there is the potential for sensory overload, just having your body around lots of other bodies. It's a lot. It's a lot. And then the fourth one is that many of us are traveling through this holiday season with a new relationship status. So we don't have a ton of data yet about relationship status changes during this particular pandemic, during the COVID pandemic. But we do know from earlier research that when there is a community level crisis with a prolonged recovery, the research has shown that you see an increase in both marriages and divorces. So tons of transition, right? A crisis is a turning point. So people are likely to be transitioning both into and out of relationships. And so for many people, this may be your first holiday season, separated, divorced, broken up, or perhaps your first holiday season with a new family system. It's a lot. And these four factors amplify and feed each other. I think it's important, given all of that, that we do as much as we can to specifically name when we are gathering that this is a regathering. This is a coming together after a break. This is a point that the magnificent Priya Parker made in a recent conversation she had with Krista Tippett on being. And we will link that interview in the show notes because you really should check it out. But being explicit, whether that's, you know, when you send your evite, really actually calling your party a regathering, a reunion, a 2.0 where you're acknowledging it, because I think that which can be named can be tamed, right? That's one of the things that therapists love to say. When we name the thing, the dynamic that's happening, it just helps us all feel a bit better about it. As I was getting ready for this episode, I did something that I do from time to time on my Instagram, which is I did a little survey of my Instagram audience, which is a global audience of nearly 200,000 people. And I do this sometimes when I want to put my finger on the collective pulse, so to speak. This is not a scientific study that would pass muster with, for example, Northwestern University's Institutional Review Board. But I will say I heard from over a thousand people from around the world. Here's what people told me. Over 60% of people who responded reported that they feel more tense or more anxious this year than they have in years past. Almost 60%. 
of people reported that this year's holiday gatherings are going to look different than prior years. And then I had a little short answer sticker that people could respond to. And we heard from well over 200 people who shared with me a sort of deeper glimpse into the feelings that they are bringing into the holiday season. And my team and I analyzed these results. We did sort of an informal qualitative factor analysis, meaning that we grouped all of these responses into themes. Like we kind of looked at which responses kind of hung together. And again, not scientific, but does give us a sense of kind of like what's going on, like a little bit of a report from the trenches, if you will. We found six major themes that emerged from the data, and I'm going to share them with you, and I'm going to share them in order from the most common, like kind of the biggest theme, to the least common theme. As I talk these through, I invite you just to notice which ones capture your experience or the experience of the people around you. And my hope in sharing this data is that you're going to feel validated, right? It is far easier to struggle when you can remember that you are far from alone in your struggle. You ready? Here's the six categories. The number one theme was just people naming negative feelings. People shared words like sad. It's a time that reminds me of what I don't have in my life. Anxious, tired. The word dread was used more than once. Ambivalent, weird, scared, nervous, blah. Theme two, which goes back to something I was saying a moment ago. Theme two was people naming that this is a year of firsts. Some people talked about new traditions This Christmas is weird because it's going to be at my sister's house and not at my parents' house. This is my first holiday separated, my first time spending the holidays as a single person. Many people named this is the first holiday since a loved one died. We lost a few family members this time last year, so this holiday season will be different. Lonely, I lost my partner this year, so that idea of the first holiday without somebody special. And then another theme that kind of came up in this category of a year of firsts were people naming. This has been a time of personal transformation and growth. So in some ways, I'm going into this holiday season feeling like a bit of a different person. Somebody, for example, said, I'm going into this holiday season feeling more peaceful after setting some pretty firm boundaries. Theme three was people just naming family complications, dynamics, like I'm dreading family that talks politics nonstop. And more than a couple of people named that they miss the COVID excuse. For example, somebody wrote, it was actually a relief last year not to be able to travel to family. It was a break financially and time-wise. So if you have been having that thought of part of you missing the simplicity of a lockdown holiday season, you aren't alone. And the Buddhists remind us that there's a first arrow and a second arrow, right? So the first arrow is that part of you that feels the truth, right? The part of you that holds on to like, ooh, I'm kind of missing the simplicity of not gathering. And then the second arrow is where our suffering comes in, which is when we layer onto the first arrow, 
that like part of me that misses the simplicity, we add that second arrow, which is the judgment. Like what kind of a person feels like that? Or a good person should feel happy to gather for the holidays. So hopefully by sharing that part of the data, what you will feel is just like that sense of relief that comes from, oh, I'm not the only one who is feeling this way. Okay, theme number four, emotional both and. This sense of what my son Brian calls MEMS, multi-emotional moments. Lots and lots of us are having MEMS. Things like, I want to enjoy and feel happy, but I'm worried it will feel stressful and disappointing. Or, it's the first Christmas with my boyfriend's family instead of my own. I feel sad, but I know it's necessary. Or, as a single mom, the responsibilities fall on me. I feel a mix of exhausted and hopeful. I love how common that theme of the emotional both and was in this data because that's the holidays, right? We feel lots of things all at once and we, our best and bravest work is to resist the urge to foreclose on one emotion or another emotion. We get to bring our mem with us, our multi-emotional moments get to come with us into our family gatherings. Theme five was about pandemic unknowns and logistics, right? Just all that decision fatigue. I'm excited, but I don't know how to make changes so that people feel safe. I'm finding it difficult to look forward to or plan anything because I'm afraid that things will get canceled again. And then theme six, which I'm so glad this theme was there, was just people naming positive feelings. I feel grateful. I get to spend time with my family compared to last year when we were all separated. Or I can't wait to see and hug my family that I haven't seen in more than two years. This data confirmed for me that I really wanted to take some time and huddle up with you and talk about how to gather for this year's holidays. So here's our plan. We're going to go into the belly of the beast. I want to spend a little bit of time just talking explicitly about the sort of 6,000-pound gorilla in the room, which is the impact of vaccine disagreements on gatherings. Then I want to talk about some general guidelines for gatherings, some things I want to invite you to keep in mind. Then I want to name some specific strategies for courageous conversations. If you do decide to kind of go deep when you gather and talk about the hard stuff, let's give you some strategies for bringing into those conversations. And then I want to do a little bit of reminders for intergenerational conversation, how we talk across generations, which is one of the coolest parts about the holidays, right? It's coming together across generations, but maybe some things we want to keep in mind for those conversations. Okay, Whew. belly of the beast. Let's talk about the vaccine, not vaccine situation. You know that I pride myself in being unafraid of hard conversations, but this is a really tough one. Here's what I know for sure. Many, many of our family trees are made up of vaccinated branches and unvaccinated branches. And I have heard from lots of people about family gatherings that are only this year going to include those relatives who are vaccinated. So the debate itself creates emotions of fear and anger, right? Those tend to be the predominant emotions around this debate. Because I am 
relationship specialist. I want us to stay with the emotions and the relational dynamics. So I want to invite you to dig a bit deeper, see what happens when you peel back the layer of fear or anger and see if you can tap into the feeling of grief. And that grief is in part just simply grief that our reality is what it is, that we are all currently attempting to survive a global pandemic. That's grief. There's grief in the reality. And there's grief that for some families, you will not see certain loved ones this year because of the difference in vaccination status. One of my favorite spiritual teachers, Byron Katie, likes to remind us that when I argue with reality, I lose, but only 100% of the time. So what happens when we let go of the urge to argue with reality, it shouldn't be this way, it shouldn't be this way, is that we get to just sink into the grief. And from that space of grief, some new possibilities might emerge. I would like to remind both the vaccinated folks and the unvaccinated folks that both spots are difficult. If you are the one who needs to draw lines with your unvaccinated loved ones in the name of safety, this boundary can feel like a burden and this boundary can feel like a cruelty. If you are finding yourself feeling guilty, I would like to remind you, well, I mostly would like you to remind yourself that you're doing the best you can, right? Maybe coming back to that mantra of I am doing the best I can in a difficult situation. If you're finding yourself feeling angry at your unvaccinated loved ones, which might sound like this, I'm mad that you're putting me in this spot, I invite you to shift back into that place of grief, right? Rather than I'm mad at you for making me have to do this, can you shift back to that part of you that feels something else like sadness, like disappointment, at least allowing for that mix of Yes, I feel angry, but yes, I also feel sad and disappointed. That space can open up a bit of compassion, perhaps forgiveness, or at least acceptance. And when we can hold on to something that is a bit more tender than our anger, maybe some new possibilities emerge, right? Your unvaccinated branch of your tree is perhaps not going to be at the gathering, but could you zoom in with them, right? Could you create a little virtual part of the gathering that includes them? Could you reach out to them and check in on them? Can you at least acknowledge that both love and pain exist across this divide? So here's some possible language. I disagree with you and I love you and I will miss you. Everyone is doing the best they can in an immensely difficult situation. I recognize that we see this differently. I am working hard to respect your right to make your own choice. And this is a decision that I feel deeply about because of safety, but it doesn't make it any less hard. And I will miss being with you. If you are the unvaccinated relative, the one who is being left out, the one who has been uninvited, I have every confidence that you also are sitting with a complicated set of feelings. 
One feeling may be that you just, you feel left out. You feel excluded. You feel devalued. You may feel misunderstood. You may feel unsupported. One thing that may be helpful is to allow yourself to connect to other times you have felt this way. Does this feeling carry with it echoes of other times in your life where you have felt left out, misunderstood, unsupported? If so, I invite you just to turn towards that, right? To care for yourself, to be gentle with yourself. That yes, this moment is hard because this dynamic around vaccines is hard. And for you, it is perhaps amplified by other times you have felt this way. And again, here the shift is from anger that you are leaving me out to a focus on this is difficult for me, this is sad for me. And from that space, how might I fill my time this year? How might I care for myself this year? As you grieve the loss of the potential to gather, I wonder if that might open up some space for acceptance. I wonder if it might open up space for you to check in with your family, for you to let them know that you miss them, that you are sorry that you all won't be able to be together. I wonder if a space might open up for you to express your hope that you will be together again soon. This is all imperfect. This is all hard. I suspect that some relationships won't be able to survive this rift, but I carry hope that many, many relationships will be able to survive. And so let's do what we can to preserve that which can be preserved. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Kraftchik and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. Moving into some general gathering principles. So if you are gathering, let's just explore a bit what we might want to keep in mind as we gather. I recently participated in Esther Perel Sessions Live conference, which some of you know because you listened to episode one of Reimagining Love when we talked about her conference. And one of her speakers was rabbi and psychologist Marcelo Bronstein. And he had a beautiful piece of his talk that was about how change and tradition go hand in hand. They're not opposites. We oftentimes think of tradition as sameness, ritual, regularity, and change as then a threat to or an offense against tradition. But in fact, change is not a rebellion against tradition. Change is part of tradition. I loved that idea that change and tradition live together in a kind of tension and neither one threatens each other. 
And especially this year, right? The data that I had collected on Instagram showed that many, many of us are doing things differently this holiday. And so rather than trying to dig our heels in and say, but this is not how it usually is, but this is not how we used to do it, holding on to the possibilities that happen, that emerge when we do things differently, and to know that making changes in some ways honors the power of the past, right? It says the past matters so much that we are going to turn towards the past for lessons and for inspiration as we figure out new possibilities and new ways of doing this. Let's talk a bit about boundaries. This is a complicated topic, and I think boundaries around the holidays are especially important. The bottom line reminder about boundaries is that they are not acts of cruelty. They are not walls that keep people out. Boundaries are the kinds of structures that we need in order to feel safe and connected and whole in our relationship. So we know we've reached a boundary sweet spot when we feel both connected to ourselves and connected to the people around us. That idea of being grounded and connected, that's the boundary sweet spot, right? Where it's not so loosey-goosey that anything goes and it's not so rigid that I can't feel close to you and you can't feel close to me. I love the idea of going into holiday gatherings, thinking about the boundary around kind of time and space. The way that we use time and space helps us set ourselves up to have really positive experiences of gatherings. So a question I invite you to sit with is, what is the duration of time that you can show up for this family gathering with an open heart? What is that sort of turning point when you go from glad to be there to irritated to be there? And that's something you may want to think about before you go in, that sometimes a bit less is more, right? Knowing that you're going to be there for X amount of time. And and in fact, just sort of that declaration, whether it's a declaration within yourself or a declaration with the people you're gathering, is this idea of I'm going to be there from six to nine. That if you know that going in, like that's a kind of boundary. That's a way that you say to yourself, I'm not stuck. I'm not trapped. I'm not obligated. I don't have to be there until other people allow me to leave, right? And when you put the ball in your own court, when you go in knowing that you can go out, that in and of itself helps you arrive and land in the space with an open heart so that you can really maximize that three-hour window that you have decided you are going to stay. If you are staying over a period of days with loved ones, I also invite you to think about time and space over that expanse of time, right? You get to step away. I invite you to give yourself permission to step away preemptively, proactively, intentionally, knowing again that that boundary of stepping away to go read in a room by yourself, to take a nap, to take a nice long shower, to head out for a walk or a hike or a workout, to watch a show by yourself, right? That those experiences of stepping away from the collective are not a rejection. They are perhaps for you 
how you fill your bucket back up, right? How you shift from irritated or depleted to feeling restored so that then when you come back from your walk, when you come back from your nap, you again have on that pair of glasses that allows you to be looking for what's good and beautiful and bountiful about the gathering. Maybe feels paradoxical, but the stepping away is in the service of connection, right? It's loving. And when we do it intentionally, it is a loving gesture rather than a communication, rather than a punishment, rather than an avoidance, that the space allows us to re-enter, energized and ready for another dose of connection. Perhaps for you, staying somewhere else, if this is, you know, obviously this is about logistics and finances and feasibility more than anything else. But sometimes I remember a story from a former student of mine who said, when I go visit my family, staying somewhere else allows me to enjoy them. That is actually an act of love. Staying somewhere else is in the service of my relationship with my family, right? And so if that's your truth, that you do better, you will enjoy yourself more and your people will get to enjoy you more if you've stayed somewhere else, then remember that you're adding space actually to create intimacy. Let's talk also about the fact that I mentioned this before, we're living through a time of sort of collective emotional dysregulation that comes from 19 plus months of sustained crisis. We certainly have been hearing a lot in the news lately about poorly behaved passengers on airplanes and customers who are treating workers poorly, which again, just a plea to all of the reimagining love listeners, like let's be the change we want to see in the world. Please, please, please. I think that around the holidays this year, I want us to have a low bar. <laughs> a successful holiday is a holiday of calm, right? Because there is so much dysregulation, let's call it a success if we get through the holidays with an experience of being calm, relatively calm with ourselves and each other. We can do that by some of the boundary stuff we were naming before. We can also do that by being really mindful of our use of alcohol and drugs. I don't think any of us are more well-regulated when using substances, right? So let's make really careful, thoughtful choices about whether, when, and how we're using alcohol. I also want you to consider the thought that perhaps the first gathering after a long time apart may not be the best time to hash stuff out whether that's like ideological macro stuff about the state of the world, or whether that's like sort of the personal family dynamics stuff. I think there's a difference between avoidance and discernment. I'm not encouraging families to avoid difficult conversations, but I think we get to discern. And perhaps the first gathering may not be the time that we want to go right in head first, headlong into the hard conversations. This may be a really wonderful time to take a cue from our host, or if you are the host, to be what Priya Parker calls a generous authority figure. Hosts get to be generous authority figures. So you get to set the tone. If you are hosting, you can set the tone. And that's a lovely way to use your authority generously, to invite people to consider that perhaps 
our number one goal is going to be to just remember how to be together rather than to try to get through hard stuff, figure out how to be on the same page, mend old wounds. Like perhaps we just get to have a gentler bar this year. So if we are going to do that, we have to remember Aristotle, who taught us that nature abhors a vacuum. So if we are going to say not the hard conversations, then what will we do? How will we fill the time and space? What will we do instead? A member of my research team sat down with her boyfriend recently, and they brainstormed 15 topics that they wanted to bring with them into the holidays. I mean, let's hear it for proactive brainstorming, right? So avoiding that vacuum by being proactive. So a little bit of prep work ahead of time. I love the idea of people coming into gatherings with some curious questions ready at hand. I recently went into a family gathering with this question. What is your favorite compliment to receive and why? And I tell you what, it sparked such fun conversations. So feel free to use that question. What is your favorite compliment to receive and why? Another suggestion comes from Esther Perel, who had her participants at the Sessions Live conference this year, bring an object with them that captures how you have adapted to life in the pandemic. So I can completely see you doing this, right? Inviting your guests, your loved ones, your family and friends to bring something with them, even if it's a photo that kind of captures or symbolizes how they have adapted to this really challenging time of living in the pandemic. We also have a bunch of resources for you that are linked in the show notes. So take a look there. Basically, what I'm inviting you into is the difference between bringing into a gathering something that is experiential and structured versus heading into a gathering more passively or without any structure. And I think that this year we may want to err a bit more on the side of experiential, structured, intentional, even though I get that that's a heavy lift to bring creativity and intentionality when we are depleted, but I do think that the benefit will be worth the energetic cost. Here are some thoughts. You could do reminiscence, right? One of the cool things about family, about friendship, is that you have shared history, right? Reminiscence is sort of being aligned and looking in the same direction. So maybe you bring in a playlist that captures some fun songs from different periods of time and music might inspire conversation. My gosh, music might inspire some dancing. Bring that on. Perhaps you bring some family photos or some memorabilia that can spark conversation about the past, about our shared roots, about our legacies. I love the idea of games, activities, an outing, a cooking project. And again, more suggestions and ideas in the show notes. If you are interested in exploring one of the more challenging topics, we certainly have plenty of challenging topics going on right now, don't we? You want to talk about something like vaccinations, like politics, like climate change or racism or sexism, or something more specific, something about your family history or a dynamic going on in your family right now. That conversation is going to go best with some structure rather than just stumbling into it, right? So being proactive, being responsive rather than being reactive. 
So I'm going to give you eight strategies that you can bring into your courageous conversation. But I first want to offer just a really big caveat that goes back to boundaries. You do not need to stay in conversations in which key aspects of your identity are actively being denied. James Baldwin, an American novelist, the playwright, the social critic, has a quote that I really love. We can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and the denial of my humanity and right to exist. So, for example, if you are someone who is non-binary or who is trans, it is not in your best interest to engage in a debate, and I'm doing air quotes, a quote-unquote debate, with your uncle about the gender binary, right? This is not a devil's advocate conversation or an abstract conversation or some sort of distant political conversation. This is your life. And yes, your story may hold the power to create change in your uncle, right? Very often we change because we sit up close and personal to someone and it's real, real hard to hate up close and personal. So yes, your uncle sitting near you, being near you, engaging with you may really help him make a shift, but that's only if two things are also present. One, if he is bringing curiosity and a deep willingness to sit alongside you. And two, if you have the energy and bandwidth to engage and you don't have to have that bandwidth, that's not your obligation. This is in fact a wonderful place for allyship, right? We've been talking a lot this last couple of years about what it means to be an ally. So perhaps you've got some cousins who have told you They've been talking the talk that they are allies. Okay, well, maybe they get to walk the walk, right? Who are your allies? Who has your back? And how can you care for yourself? And perhaps you can just send in your allies to engage with your uncle instead of you. This is, again, this is your life. This is your lived experience. This is not some distant, abstract conversation. So caveat given, here are eight strategies that I want to invite you to bring into your courageous conversations, if you so choose to have them. Strategy number one, set an explicit intention up top. Therapists like to call this like going meta, right? So talk first about talking. It may sound like this. Our intention in this conversation is deeper understanding, Our intention in this conversation is being curious about some potential areas of common ground. Our intention is not changing each other's mind. Our intention is not proving each other wrong. So saying that explicitly out loud up top can be helpful, right? You're sort of framing How might we make this conversation productive rather than destructive? And that is about setting an intention. Two, really focus on your I statements. Stay close to your experience, your emotions, your hopes, your fears, right? Staying located in those I statements 
can be helpful and can keep us from getting into that like mutual finger pointing that only increases distance and division. Three, watch your nonverbals. <laughs> In some ways, my gosh, all we've been doing during this pandemic is watching our freaking nonverbals on Zoom in our meeting. So perhaps all of us will go into this year with a deeper sense of all the things that our faces do when we're not talking. But just a reminder that a lot of our communication, and some of our communication happens with words, obviously, and with tone, obviously. But we are also communicating things with our eyes, with our faces, with our body postures. So don't roll your eyes. Don't huff and puff. Don't check your phone. Do maintain eye contact. Do maintain an open posture. Do nod and do things like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and say little things like, that makes sense. I get it. Thank you. Yes. I guess those are more verbal than nonverbal. But the way that you kind of position yourself matters. So I like the idea of having one part of your awareness just be observing your nonverbals. Four, ask questions. I love the question, like, can you help me understand how you came to that? Right? What are the things in your life that formed that opinion of yours? If we could commit to more questions than statements, that will really help the conversation move along. Five, listen and reflect back. <laughs> Therapists love to say, we have two ears and one mouth, right? Perhaps more listening, less talking. And there's something called listening with the third ear. Very often we are listening to respond. So while you're talking, I am focusing my attention on what I'm going to say back to you, how I'm going to debate you on that point how I'm going to prove myself to you. I really want to invite you to instead listen with a third ear, listen to understand. So while the other person is talking, what if you imagine that your only job on earth is just to understand, just to try to put yourself in that person's shoes, just to kind of locate your attention in their lived experience. And I certainly hope that they will do the same for you. And if each of you are doing that for each other, it's going to be an entirely different conversation. So less listening to respond and more listening to understand. That's a very, very potent gift that we can give each other is the gift of deep listening. Six, take breaks. Take a break when you notice yourself shifting from curious to critical, when you notice yourself shifting from dialogue to debate, right? Because again, if you set your intention up top to be, I just want to understand a bit more, I just want to be curious about whether there's common ground, then if you find yourself moving from dialogue mode into debate mode, it's time for a timeout. And timeouts are just like boundaries. Timeouts are not rejections. They are not punishment. They are saying, I'm no longer able to bring my most curious self 
to this conversation. And so taking breaks can be a source of pride and a way of saying, I love us too much to keep going right now. And on some of these difficult topics where there's lots of layers, we may need to have more than one conversation. And let's just be gentle with ourselves and each other about that. Seven, highlight common ground when you come upon it. When you hit a point of like, yeah, no, I I get that. I agree with that. When you hit one of those points, like jazz hands, like dance party, (laughs) jump up and down, big, big, big smile, like hands in the air, like you just don't care. Like celebrate the wins. Celebrate the points of shared understanding. Like let yourself have moments of surprise and delight. That's the best kind of conversation, right? A conversation where we just discovered something we didn't know before. And so if and when that happens, celebrate the hell out of that because that's how you're going to get more of it and cultivate and create more of it. So big, big, big jazz hands when you hit moments of shared understanding. Or even when, I mean, I think we can do jazz hands when the other person expresses empathy, right? Or gives us like a nod or leans in and puts a hand on our knee, obviously in a non-creepy way. Like celebrate that. Like, thank you. Thank you for giving me the gift of your empathy. I appreciate that. And I don't take that for granted. And then the last one, I guess number eight sort of ties to number seven, which is celebrate small wins. As mammals, we are a bit hardwired for negativity. We have a negativity bias that is evolutionarily advantageous, right? It's evolutionary advantageous to be scanning for danger, to be looking for threat, to be led by fear. There's some adaptive advantage to that, which means that we have to be proactive about coding and landing the positive, the successes, the small wins. So again, I guess seven and eight are so important that they kind of go together, which is just we're noticing common ground and we're celebrating the F out of it when it happens. Okay, our last section is a little bit of whispering in people's ears. I want to do a little whispering in ears, which is about connecting across generations. So I love, love, love intergenerational conversations. I think there's so much that we can learn about ourselves, each other, the world, culture, tradition, inheritance, legacy, when we talk to people from a different generation than our own. And very often, our family gatherings give us a chance to talk to people who live further up the family tree and some people who live further down the family tree, if we think of a family tree in that way. In these conversations that may be happening at your gatherings across generational lines, a little reminder that comes from the magnificent Brene Brown, belonging and sameness are not the same thing. And certainly when it comes to intergenerational conversations, we can't possibly be the same because we actually, literally, by the fact that we are from different generations, we literally grew up in different contexts. So we cannot be the same. So we must belong based on something deeper and more anchored than sameness, right? So belonging is actually about showing up as ourselves and appreciating the differences that we bring in. 
a line that I love that you may have heard me say before is that none of us can be understood outside of our context. And when we're talking about intergenerational conversations, we have that easy, obvious context of the generational frame that we have to keep our loved one in, right? And a reminder that one thing we all have in common, no matter our generation, no matter our age or stage of life, is that we all desire that sense that we are seen, heard, and understood for who we are. So here's me whispering in the ear of the older generation. If you are one of the older generations and you are connecting with somebody from one of the younger generations, I want to remind you that curiosity goes further than advice, that we really ought to only be giving advice when we are asked for advice. And I think that that's one of the things that can happen when older folks are talking to younger folks is older folks can feel like they need to advise and guide the youngins. Just a gentle reminder that I think that the younger generation is going to be far more interested in your curiosity and your enthusiasm and your appreciation of them rather than your advice for them. And in fact, side note, This generation, a younger generation, is growing up with an entirely different set of challenges that you, in fact, may actually not be able to know what's best for them, right? So your humility is actually a huge asset here, and your curiosity and your investment and your love are far, far bigger assets than your advice. And then I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Especially if you are someone in the older generation, there are some things that just across the board, the younger generation does not want to hear about from you. And these are things like, by and large, the younger generation does not want to hear your commentary about their relationship status, whether that is single or partnered, just to talk to somebody about their relationship status can feel quite threatening. Again, a reminder that many people are going into their gatherings with a new relationship status, So I think you could be curious about their relationship status, but not giving your opinion, right? Your opinion is very, very likely not wanted here. Your opinion is also very, very likely not wanted around the topic of body. My goodness, none of us really want or need commentary about our bodies, certainly not our bodies that have been caring for us and carrying us through a global pandemic. So let's just have the topic of bodies be off limits. There are many, many more interesting things to talk about than whether bodies have changed because of course bodies have changed because time has elapsed. And then you add to that ways in which bodies have likely changed due to the stress and impact of a pandemic. So let's just keep the bodies off limits. I think it's also pretty safe to say that the younger generation probably doesn't want to hear your opinions or your advice or your thoughts about money or jobs. So holding off on that, unless you are specifically asked for career guidance or job guidance. So these are just things that likely a younger generation is coming into a gathering feeling tender about, self-conscious about, and your love and affirmation can go a long way and your respect for some things that they may not be interested or available to talk about can also go a long ways. Okay. Younger generation, circle up. (laughs) Here are the things that I invite you to keep in mind as you are connecting with your family's elders. 
I think when you are with your family's elders, it's a really cool chance to glean some tidbits about your family history. You can ask open-ended, curious questions about your family's history that aren't gotchas, right? That just purely are understanding, like you get a chance to understand a bit more about who you are based on all the things that these folks above you, your elders, all the things that they have been through. And so just asking questions about what life was like when they were little, how they spent their time, tell me about school. You could ask them questions about kind of key historical events and how those impacted them. My gosh, if you have elders in your family who have immigrated, asking for immigration stories, if you don't already have those stories, it can be a wonderful chance to just kind of like literally or figuratively sit at the feet of your elders and just gather stories. I think that's a wonderful way to show appreciation and care for all of what this system has gone through to get you to where you are. One of my mentors and friends, Mona Fishbane, reminds us to view our parents as our grandparents' kids. So you may want to keep that in mind as sort of an intention as you go into your family gathering, just to set an intention to view your parents as your grandparents' kids. If we bring that lens in, we can see actually how far our parents have evolved given the challenges and limitations and complexities of our grandparents' generation. So kind of framing your parents as their grandparents' kids can open up a channel of empathy and compassion. I invite you, younger generation, when you go into this gathering, to just put on the pair of glasses that helps you look for signs of progress, signs of shift, moments of sweetness, right? If you go in with your eyes focused, your lens focused on what's possible, what's bountiful, ways in which your parents or your elders are a bit different than they used to be in some good ways, like looking for kind of those positive shifts. I think that's, again, like a way of combating that negativity bias that we're at risk of bringing in. And the more that you approach them with your eyes on big, expansive appreciation, then I think the more that you are likely to get that in return. And just remembering that that's actually what we all want, right? We all want that sense of like, I see you and I'm so, so glad that you're here. And the final thing that I want the younger generation to keep in mind is you aren't little anymore. There's nothing that holds the power to create a sense of emotional regression inside of us like a family gathering, right? That's that Ram Das quote from the beginning. Like you think you're evolved, go spend a week with your family. When you are with your family, when you are with your elders, there is no way you're going to avoid that feeling of like, I'm young, I'm little, I'm silly, I'm whoever my family used to tell me that I am. But I want to remind you that you aren't little. You get to go into this gathering with all of the hard fought gifts and talents and skills and pockets of resilience that you have cultivated for yourself. And you have nothing to prove. You don't have to go in and prove that to people, but it's real, real important that you remember your own sense of agency and autonomy and the victories that you've created in your life. And so you go into the gathering with all of that. 
Okay, we have covered a lot of ground. The bottom line here, no family is perfect, no gathering is perfect, and this context is hard, even for the most loving and connected family. So I really just want to normalize that. And a reminder of setting gentle expectations for yourself. There's, you know, even though <laughs> media sends us these images of these idyllic, kind of like very aesthetic, visually appealing, perfectionistic holidays, there is so much magic and beauty in the mess. So if nothing else, let us take ourselves lightly. Let us find humor in the imperfections and let us practice gratitude for what we do have. And thank you so much for taking this time to be with me. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.